When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's an image that I keep pushed away in the back of my mind. Occasionally, it makes its way out and I can see that horrid face once more. My limbs go numb and I can feel my throat begin to tighten as every grotesque detail can be seen in my mind's eye. No matter how hard I try to suppress it, there's no way to fully forget pure evil. Perhaps it was due to their young minds being unable to grasp the loss of their mother at the time, but I feel that they just didn't want to believe it. After I received her life insurance, I decided that we needed to move to a different part of our neighborhood. I wanted the children to still attend the same school and have the same friends, but I couldn't stand the bad memories I had in that house. Hardly a night went by when I didn't cry myself to sleep with my hand feeling the empty spot beside me. It took a few months, but we eventually adjusted. Sometimes when they were playing in the backyard, I'd catch myself staring at my wife's portrait on the mantle above the fireplace. A smile would cross my face and I'd feel a tear run down my cheek. At this point, I no longer cried from sadness, but from happiness. I'd finally accepted that she was in a better place and our lives were going to get better. All that changed the day that I saw it in the woods behind our house. When we switched houses, we moved into one on the edge of our neighborhood. It was in a cul-de-sac directly across from one of my children's friends. Not only was it a great social location for them, but I also desired a small bit of isolation myself. I'd still have my own companions over for a drink, but I did enjoy just sitting on my back porch watching the birds fly around the trees in the backyard. The trees went on for what seemed like an eternity, giving me a feeling that I was the ruler of an endless domain that started in my backyard. One day while I sat in my chair with a bottle of beer in my hand and a book in the other, I heard Elizabeth call from the edge of our lawn. When I asked her what she wanted, she turned to me with wide eyes and a trembling hand outstretched and pointing toward the woods. I strained my vision to try and find what she saw, but was unable to. I rested my book and drink down on a nearby table and walked across the grass to meet my daughter. I placed a hand on her shoulder and pulled her close and did my best to comfort her. Why is she so scared, darling? Is there a fox or something out there? With her hand still buried in my side, she shook it violently and continued to point. I followed her finger until I was staring at a large oak tree about ten feet from the edge of our lawn. The leaves scattered among its branches had changed colors, and a few of them littered the ground around the trunk. Beneath the roots that sprawled across the dirt, I spotted a hole. I'd noticed the tree before, but never expected that there would be an animal living underneath it. Honey, I can't help you if you don't tell me what's wrong. Now, I'm going to ask you again, what is it that you saw? Elizabeth took in a deep breath and spoke with fear, grabbing at her vocal cords. That. I looked up from her and stared at the base of that tree. A hand, covered in flawed, gray skin, slowly reached out and clawed at the earth outside the hole. Long, yellow fingernails scratched at the dirt until they dug deep into the damp soil. Now, with a proper grip, I heard the creature let out a deep groan as it began to pull itself from the hole. As more of its limbs came into view, I took notice of how frail this thing appeared. I watched the thin muscles of its arms flex under the sickly skin to pull itself further out of the hole, revealing itself from the darkness underneath the tree. 
the unearthly creature lifted its head in the autumn sunlight, giving me the first glimpse of its face. It had sunken eyes and cheeks, causing the skin to be pulled tightly against its skull. Its bloodshot eyes would disappear from view as cracked eyelids slowly blinked. Greasy lumps of dark gray hair hung over the sides of its face and down the nape of its neck. The individual vertebrae of its spine pressed under its skin, shifting in a grotesque fashion as the body moved. I stood motionless, in complete and utter shock. I could no longer hear the birds chirping or the wind in the leaves. The only noise I could hear was its thin and raspy breathing that croaked out of its throat. My daughter's hand had gripped my shirt and squeezed it tight. I could feel her shaking me as if she was trying to tell me something, but I couldn't hear her. My ears soon filled with the piercing shriek that erupted from deep inside this creature as more of its body became exposed in the sunlight. As it continued to scream, the body shook violently and its limbs moved unnaturally. To this day, I... I'm not sure what made me grab my daughter and run, but I'm thankful that something finally made me move. Before I knew it, I was inside and had slammed the door shut. I threw turned to the deadbolt and threw the latch at the top of the door. As I kept my eyes trained at the edge of our lawn for it to crawl into the grass, I yelled at Elizabeth to go grab my gun from the drawer in my nightstand. She left and soon returned with the whip and grasped firmly in her hand. I took it from her quickly and disengaged the safety. I cocked it and stood at the ready to unload every single bullet into this hellish monstrosity. As I stood guard, I instructed my daughter to call the police and tell them to send officers out here. Two squad cars arrived in less than ten minutes. It was no coincidence that I bought a house within close proximity of the police station. As I followed two officers toward the edge of the backyard, all three of us with our weapons drawn, another stayed inside with my daughter. Although they approached the tree without much hesitation, I kept my distance knowing what lurked inside that dark hole. With their weapons trained on the opening, one of them retrieved the flashlight from his belt and flashed it inside. What they found was... nothing. There wasn't a single trace of something ever being been in there. first thought that jumped to my mind was that they would think I was trying to stage some kind of hoax. However, they simply told me to keep an eye out for the creature again and to call them if they saw it. They also recommended that I keep a camera on me on the off chance that I could snap a picture of the thing. After comforting my daughter, they left us alone in my house. To this day, I am convinced that they remembered my wife's death a few years prior and thought it best to not try claiming that I was running a prank on them. They probably figured that I'd had enough trouble in my life and that there was no need to fake something like this. Four years passed without me ever seeing another sign of it. Whenever it reared its ugly head again, it was in a way I not even imagined. My daughter had just turned 11 and I permitted her to have some friends over for a sleepover. I took the trouble to push all the furniture in our living room to one side and make a large area for them to put their sleeping bags down. I told Elizabeth that I wanted them to sleep inside because there had been sightings of coyotes around the area, but she didn't seem to buy it. She knew the real reason why I didn't want them outside at night, and she didn't disagree with me one bit. While well, I spent the night with Nicholas in our media room watching a movie, I would occasionally hear the girls laughing or letting out a playful scream. I tried telling myself that the screams were only due to some stupid game, but my mind tried telling me that something else could be the source. After the movie ended, I carried my boy upstairs and tucked him into bed. Afterwards, I peered from the railing of the stairs at the girls asleep on the living room floor. They had arranged themselves in such a way that they were around a toy lantern. With sleep pulling at my eyelids, I retreated to my room and fell asleep. The next thing I knew, I was awoken by the sound of glass hitting the floor and my Elizabeth screaming. Instinctively, I grabbed the gun from the drawer of my nightstand and ran down the stairs. As I bolted into the living room, I noticed empty sleeping bags scattered around the floor. It didn't take me long to find the girls clustered into one corner of the room with a lantern shared among them. 
The sickly yellow light emitted from the cheap bulb illuminated the fear in their faces. Elizabeth, what the hell happened down here? I asked as I stared at the broken window. Whatever had broken it had done so from outside. I was met with only the sound of crickets chirping in the night air. I turned to the girls in the corner and found them all pointing out the window. It was at that moment that an overwhelming sense of dread filled my body. I felt the urge to vomit as my mind raced to the only conclusion. It had come back. I bolted to the back door and threw it open. As I ran outside into the backyard, I yelled at the girls to call the police. My bare feet slammed onto the ground as I sprinted full force toward the forest at the edge of our lawn. By the time I reached the edge, the ankles of my sweatpants were soaked with dew. Cupping my hands around my mouth, I hollered my daughter's name. The only response I received was my pain, stricken voice echoing back at me. I took in a deep breath and prepared to call for her once more when I stopped. Crawling under a bush, just a few feet away, I saw its face for the first time in years. In the milky glow of the moonlight, it slowly clawed at the ground and pulled itself from under the bush. With each small movement of its appendages, I could hear the cracking of joints and dry leaves scratching against its leathery skin. This thing had taken my daughter, and I wanted nothing more than to grab it by the neck, strangle it, and slowly feel the life leave its body. The only problem was that I couldn't. As much as I wanted to, I found myself unable to move. Compared to the burning hatred I had for this creature, my fear towered over that and kept my movement at bay. Slowly, its mouth opened to reveal pointed, stained teeth and let out a heavy breath, causing the air around me to suddenly be filled with the horrid stench of rot and decay. As I pulled my shirt over my nose, it began to make a noise. It started as a guttural rumble from deep within the creature. Soon enough, it escaped into the air as a deep croak. This progressively became louder as the noise underwent a grotesque transformation into an ear-piercing shriek. I could feel my eardrums screaming for relief, causing me to throw my hands over my ears. This did little good as the noise still managed to find its way into my head. When the noise finally stopped, I lowered my hands and opened my eyes. It was gone. There was no trace that it had ever been there. The ground beneath the bush showed no signs of anything ever being there. I found myself unable to look away from that spot. I'm unsure how long I stood there. It took three police officers to shake me back to reality. When I was finally able to break my gaze from that bush, I screamed. I fell to my knees and erupted into a fit of hot tears and screams. I pounded at the ground and grabbed at the grass. I expected the officers to try and bring me back to my feet, but they just let me continue. It was nearly a week before they found her body. She was almost a mile from the house, deep in the woods. Although I could not bring myself to go out there to view the crime scene, I was given a description of the area later that day. They found her. They found her under a thin layer of dried leaves, with her torn and stained clothes tossed around. She had been... Did she... My little girl... My little 11-year-old girl had been assaulted and tortured by whatever the hell that thing was. It took her innocence, her purity, her very existence. The funeral was one of the hardest days of my life. While everyone else cried in the cold November rain, I stood silent and unmoving while staring at the small coffin. All the despair I'd felt left my body with the tears I cried for days on end. No matter how much I wanted to cry, I couldn't bring myself to do so. My tear ducts, like my heart and soul, were empty. I still visit her gravesite on her birthday. 
Other than that, I can't bring myself to look at her name engraved on that cold stone. There are no pictures of her anywhere in my home. The sight of her face just brings me to my knees and leaves my eyes red with hot tears. I still have pictures of my wife, but this... This is different. When the drunk driver who killed her was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, I felt closure. Elizabeth is different. The creature is still out there. The thing that killed my daughter and violated her is still prowling somewhere in those woods. Elizabeth's pictures are neatly packed in a box upstairs. Until the day I find that thing, I can't stand to look at her face. I feel that I let her down by not attacking it that night. My fear got the better of me, and it still haunts me to this day. It's not a guarantee that I would have been able to stop this thing, but at least I would have done the best I could. Nicholas has grown up. He went to college, got a degree in mechanical engineering. Soon afterwards, he found a girlfriend and eventually got married to her. They had a child a few years later. To this day, I don't let my granddaughter Elizabeth come to visit. I fear that it'll rear its ugly head once more if it knows she's here. Sometimes when I'm lying in bed at night, I think I hear something in the woods. It's always faint and almost to the point that I think my mind is playing tricks on me. However, I'll listen closely and make out the words that this creature is uttering with its deep, raspy voice. Come and sleep, come and break, sweet young virgin's virtue take, naked flesh, flowing hair. Her terror screams, they cut the air, but no one hears her there. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. As the operations manager for a large discount store, it's my job to ensure that various electrical and mechanical systems, such as cash registers, pricing guns, and even the toilets in the restroom are working as they should be. A few weeks ago, I got word that my store was going to be the fuel testing site for a new type of shopping cart. In over 20 years with the company, I had yet to encounter a shopping cart that didn't turn into a piece of shit once the customers got a hold of it. Now, our company was going to waste thousands of dollars on the next high-tech turd from the ass of modern shopping. A few days after being notified, I received a large envelope in the mail packed with colorful, pointless propaganda on the cart design as well as some survey cards for my employees and customers to fill out once the shopping carts arrived. I read through the material that night and was sort of blah about the whole thing. They were just shopping carts, after all. To say I couldn't care less that they were made of some new, eco-friendly polymer that they could hold twice the weight of a traditional cart would be an understatement. I was pretty sure the customers weren't going to care much either. I also didn't see anything state-of-the-art or top-of-the-line about them in the literature, but I was going to reserve final judgment for when I saw them in person. When the carts finally arrived, I had to begrudgingly admit that they were nice to look at, at least as nice as shopping carts can be. They were equal parts black and white, and made mostly of thick plastic with a few pieces of metal in the framework. The thing I liked the most about them was they weren't rectangular like most carts. They had an almost oval shape to them. All the edges were rounded off and the baskets were large in the front and narrow near the end which gave them the appearance of some sort of space-aged transport device. The carts also had great maneuverability. I took one through the store for a test drive and was surprised with how well it handled. I was able to make tight turns into the aisles with no problem. When I took the corners fast, the cart didn't tip over like the old ones did. The wheels never left the ground, nor did they wobble. 
I knew our customers were going to be pleased with them, and I was proud that my store was the first one to have them. This pride wouldn't last. Two days after receiving the carts, everything seemed to be going great. The customers really liked them, and a few even admitted to coming to the store just to check them out after hearing about them from a friend. It wasn't until the third day that things started to change. For the most part, that day was just like any other. I had to deal with the usual frustrated customers, annoying employees, and the occasional register glitch. It wasn't until I locked up for the night and was returning to my car that my week started getting shitty. I usually parked my car near one of those landscaped islands bordered by a curb. Every large parking lot usually has a few of them. They tend to be covered in grass with a couple of trees or those thick bushes with the prickly leaves. If I park next to one of those, there are a limited number of cars that can park around me. In my mind, that minimizes the possibility of accidents. Having to park in high-traffic parking lots for 40 to 50 hours a week can be hazardous to the bodywork of your vehicle. I see nothing wrong in trying to ward off any possible damage from ignorant customers when I can. That day, the only spot open that wasn't a mile from the entrance of the store was right next to one of the car corrals. I didn't like parking next to them, if I could help it, but when it's between that and walking the length of a football field, I'll easily take the walk every time. When I think back on that day, I mentally kick myself for not moving my car. I'm sure if I went outside during one of my breaks, I would have been able to find a better parking space. As I approached my car that night, I didn't notice anything unusual and until I walked around to the driver's side. There, pressed up against the side of my car door, was one of the new shopping carts. My first reaction was to mutter a few curse words at the lazy shopper who couldn't be bothered to place the cart in the corral in the first place. I mean, come on, it was no more than two feet away. It's irritating, but a common thing in parking lots around the world. I didn't get pissed until I pulled the cart away, revealing the fist-sized dent in the front door. Now, I'll admit, I do have a bit of a temper, and I probably should have taken a moment to calm down and just push the cart into the corral. However, it felt really good when my foot connected with the cart, knocking it onto its side. It felt even better when I noticed that the kick had caused a good-sized crack along the side of the cart's plastic basket. A crack for a dent. I figured that made us even. I left the busted cart on its side, got in my car, and drove home. I knew the opening manager would deal with it when he got in. Thankfully, I had the day off, so I wouldn't have to hear about it until I returned to work on Friday. The following day, I contacted my insurance company to see about getting the dent fixed. After spending an hour on the phone dissecting my policy with someone who barely spoke English, I decided it would be cheaper and less of a headache to just go to a body shop and pay for it myself. And that's exactly what I did. My one day off that week, wasted on getting a small dent repaired. When I returned to work, I wasn't in the best of moods to begin with, but I became even more irritated when I saw a lot of the new carts strewn around the parking lot, most of which were only a few steps from a car corral. Damn lazy customers. I was sure I wasn't going to be the only one with a dented door that week. I gathered up a few of the strays and slammed them into the nearest corral with enough force to cause it to slide forward a few inches. I didn't give a damn anymore if the new carts got damaged. On my way to the front office, I was stopped by the freight manager who informed me that we had a return truck the next day and that I needed to get my stuff processed. One of my duties is to sign off on all the defective merchandise and get it boxed up and ready to be shipped back to the warehouse. Once I dropped my stuff off in the office, I walked to the back of the store to the receiving bay. That is where we keep all the unprocessed returns from the week. As I surveyed the pile of returns, I noticed a single cart parked in the corner with a handwritten note on it that said, Damaged. I guess I was going to have to deal with that thing one last time. I didn't mind. Nothing would have made me happier at that moment than to send that cart back to the warehouse, knowing it was going to be destroyed. I decided to process it last and savor my victory over it. 
As I was filling out the forms of the assortment of broken electronics and home goods, there was a short, loud squeak, sort of like the sound of a rusty hinge would make when being forced open too quickly. I looked up, but couldn't immediately see anything that would make that kind of noise. I dismissed the sound and continued my work. I was, after all, in a large receiving bay with metal doors, metal racking, and various other metal objects, all capable of squeaking. I returned to my paperwork, and the moment my pen touched the paper, the squeak returned. I continued writing, ignoring it altogether, but after a while, it became pretty bothersome. I waited until it started again, then quickly whirled around to pinpoint where the sound was coming from. In the process of turning, my elbow caught the edge of a box of packing tape and sent it falling to the floor, the sound of which made it impossible to tell where the squeaking was coming from. I bent over to pick up the box and muttered profanities to myself as the squeaking recommenced. This time it was louder and more insistent, and I was really starting to get pissed off over it. I looked up and yelled out in frustration, but my cry was cut short when the source of the squeaking slammed into my forehead, knocking me out of my ass. I was dazed and confused for a second as to what had happened. I tried to make sense of it, but it was completely crazy. Somehow, the shopping cart that was in the opposite corner of the room squeaked This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Its way across the receiving bay and rammed itself into my forehead. It wasn't just a casual roll, either. There was some force behind it. If I didn't know any better, I'd say the cart was pushed, but there was no way for someone to enter the receiving bay without me noticing. I stood up, rubbing the spot on my head where I was hit. I could feel the tight knot of a bump already forming. That cart was going to pay. There was no way I was ever going to let it roll again. In the corner of the receiving bay behind the toolbox is a large sledgehammer. For the longest time, I wondered why it was there, why we've never had to use it. Yet there it sat for many years. In that moment, I decided I would make a use for it. I grabbed the mallet and walked over to where the cart had come to a rest against the bay doors. I half expected the cart to flee as I raised the hammer over my head and brought it down on the folding child seat behind the handlebar. The force of the blow flipped it back onto its side, where I continued to beat it until it was a mess of broken plastic and bent metal. I kept smashing it until I could no longer lift the hammer, then gathered up the pieces and threw them into the trash compactor. Satisfied that the cart would never bother me again, I finished processing the damaged products, then left the receiving bay and headed to the front office with a smile on my face. As I turned down the household consumable aisle, I had to move aside to let a young woman wheel her cart by. As she was about to pass me, the cart she was pushing suddenly turned, causing the bottom bar of the frame to collide with my shin. I'm so sorry, she apologized. I don't know what happened. I was pushing it straight ahead. It just turned on its own. I'm really sorry. It's okay, I managed to say through clenched teeth. I continued walking with a slight limp now until I made it to the food aisle, which was a straight shot for the front of the store. I made it past three more aisles before I was blindsided and knocked onto the floor. As I got up, ready to give someone a piece of my mind, a shopping cart rolled past me with an older gentleman hobbling after it as fast as he could. Sorry, these new carts move so fast, I guess it got away from me, he said once he was able to regain control of the cart. Don't worry about it. I groaned and then stood up and continued walking despite the pain in my head, my shin, and now my side. While walking, I stomped at each aisle to make sure no one else was going to try and run me over with a shopping cart. This got me several peculiar looks from the few customers and employees I passed, but I didn't give a shit. I was in pain and I had a crazy suspicion the carts were out to get me. 
When I made it up to the front of the store, I picked up my pace until I was practically running. Once inside the office, I closed the door and locked it. The first thing I did was grab the bottle of aspirin that we keep in the desk drawer and dry swallowed three pills. Then I sat down and tried to wrap my mind around the crazy series of events that took place. It couldn't be true. Carts were inanimate constructs of metal and plastic. They don't think. They can't feel pain. There was no sane reason to think they were sentient. After sitting down and thinking about the situation rationally for a while, I was able to convince myself that I was just the victim of a series of bizarre events that just so happened to share a common factor. This, however, did not stop me from avoiding carts for the rest of the evening, just in case. Once I closed up the registers for the night and let all the employees leave, I let out a big sigh of relief. I couldn't wait to get home. I walked outside, and I was irritated to see that no one bothered to bring in the carts. This was supposed to be done by the stock crew before they left, but they had a convenient habit of forgetting most nights. At least they were all corralled, and I wasn't parked near any of them. Even though I knew I would get shit for it the next day, I was going to leave them where they were. I approached my car, feeling more and more relieved with each step I took. It'd be nice to put this nightmare of a day behind me, but it wasn't free just yet. A faint squeaking started in the distance, causing my heart to skip a beat. I turned around and scanned the parking lot for a runaway cart, but... They were all in the corrals. I quickly walked around to the back of my car and toward the driver's side door, pulling my keys out of my pockets as quickly as I could. I was in such a haste to grab them that they slipped from my fingertips onto the pavement. I knelt down to pick them up, knowing in my backside was now a perfect target. The squeaking returned the moment my hands closed around the key. It was louder, signaling me that it was close by. I rose up, but my hands had started shaking, making it difficult to grasp the keys. I tried to catch them before they hit the ground again, but all they managed to do was knock them under the car instead. I got down on my hands and knees and looked under the car to see where the keys fell, and nearly pissed myself at what I saw. Several black rubber wheels squeaked by on the opposite side of my car, taunting me as they made their way around the vehicle. The first car hit me from behind and dropped me onto my stomach causing me to scrape my hands up in the process. The second guard hit me on my right side, smack dab in the middle of my ribs. There was a loud popping sound like a knuckle being cracked and then searing pain. I tried to roll over, but the pain was too great. That's when the third guard hit me on the side of the head, colliding with enough force for it to roll right over me. The sound of squeaking was then replaced by a loud ringing, thanks to my injured ear. I felt a warm liquid oozing out of it as I began feeling nauseous and dizzy, unable to tell which way was up and which was down. I was in so much pain, my vision blurred and started to dim. I tried to get up, but my muscles refused to cooperate. As I felt the darkness of oblivion closing in, I turned to my side and was able to focus my eyes long enough to see the line of carts, each waiting to take their turn. I awoke in the hospital three days later with a concussion, a broken leg, several broken ribs, and assortments of colorful cuts and bruises. There was also some form of amnesia present, as I couldn't remember why I was in the hospital. Once the doctor found out I was awake, he came by and gave me a rundown of my injuries and his prognosis of my recovery after first assessing the extent of my memory loss. I was hoping he would tell me what happened, but before I could ask him, my memory was rudely returned to me by a familiar sound. The squeaking started somewhere out in the hall and then stopped. After a 30 second pause, it started again, and then as quickly as it started, it stopped once more. Something wrong? The doctor asked, noticing the large drops of sweat that began to snake down my forehead. Did you hear that? I whispered. That squeaking? Right after I said that, the squeaking began again, but much louder. My memory was still fuzzy, but I knew that squeaking sound was no good. I was terrified. Before the doctor could tell me what had happened, I jumped out of bed and ran to the door, tipping over my IV stand in the process. Just as I was about to slam the door shut behind me, I was hit in the stomach by something rolling into my room. 
At the moment of impact, my amnesia completely vanished. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I didn't expect you to be out of bed. The nurse gasped as she ran over to help me. Once she and the doctor helped me back into bed and made sure I hadn't added to my list of injuries, I was able to see the thing that gut busted me was nothing more than a little rolling cart used to deliver medicine. I felt silly, but then I thought to myself, maybe it knows. I started screaming for them to get it out of the room. It took two orderlies and the doctor to subdue me long enough to inject me with a sedative. The next few days, they kept me sufficiently drugged up and did a few tests to make sure there wasn't anything wrong with my head that would make me lash out the way I did. During that time, I was able to keep myself under control, mostly thanks to the medicine. By the end of the week, the doctor felt I was healthy enough to leave. I was cleared to speak with a police officer about what had happened the night of my accident. The officer told me I was found lying on the ground by the driver of a street sweeper that came to clean the parking lot. Apparently, he thought I'd been mugged. Considering how crazy the truth was, I decided it would be best to just stick with what the authorities believed. It was true, in a way. Nothing was stolen, but I was beat up. Just not by anything human. I told the officer I was jumped from behind as I went to get in my car and didn't get a look at my attacker. That seemed to satisfy him. He handed me his car and told me to call him if I remembered anything else. On the day I was to be released from the hospital, my boss came in to see me and give me a ride home. We talked about nonsense for a while before I asked him about the carts and if the store was going to keep them. Oh, don't worry about the carts, he said. The company has decided to add them to all the stores. They'll still be here when you get back. And that's what I was afraid of. When the woman got struck by the bus right in front of me, I didn't understand it was because I'd been rude to my waiter ten minutes earlier. At the time, I hadn't even called myself being rude at all. He'd left me without a refill for nearly ten minutes, and all I'd said when he'd apologized was that sorry doesn't fill my cup. Well, that and or help your tip. But still, I thought it was a small thing, and I was irritated, and I did feel bad afterward. Even left a big tip to make up for it. But in the moment that the woman left the sidewalk, only to be slammed into by the metal face of a cross-town bus, I wasn't thinking about any of that. I was thinking about the terrible wet sound she made as she went under the wheels, the too warm spray of her juices hitting the right side of my face as I gasped and sucked in a bit of her down. I started screaming. Everyone did. It was 30 minutes before I could start absently wiping the blood off as I gave a statement to an officer. I didn't have anything to tell. I'd not even noticed the woman beside me until she stepped into oncoming traffic, and I had no idea that she might have been pushed at all, much less because of my prior sin. It wasn't until I got home and started stripping off everything that I found it. I'd almost just thrown everything away I could without getting arrested for indecency, but my coat was expensive and I'd only had it a year. A couple of rounds of dry cleaning might get rid of the awful sp- There was something in my coat's outer pocket. My first thought was an old receipt or a ticket, but no. The thickness and weight was wrong. Pulling it free from my pocket, I saw it was a heavy piece of black, slick paper, folded into a tight square and embossed with gold. The back, where the intersecting diamond of folded corners were tucked together, made a beautiful tangle of gleaming scrollwork. Turning it over, I sucked in an involuntary breath. It was a pair of golden eyes, not just the eyes themselves, but the thick, fleshy lids around them. Old, tired, pitless eyes that stared out from the paper at me with a look that was both wary and knowing. I chided myself for being foolish. It was just a drawing, after all. I turned the paper back over quickly, telling myself it was just to unfold it and not to get away from that gaze. Opening it up, I found the inside was a nighttime blue, glittering with lines of silver text, set to mimic a small and efficient style of handwritten note. 
It said, If you've found this note, you have acquired a very unique companion. There are some that call them Tengu, or other things, but I prefer my own name, a Sin Goblin. A Sin Goblin is always with you now, though you cannot see or hear it. It will watch you all the time, and while this may be disquieting, rest assured that it will never harm you directly. In fact, at its core, the goblin is a very upright and moral creature, and so long as you're similarly upright and moral, you may never notice its presence at all. Unfortunately, most of us are not perfect. There may well come times where you transgress in the sin goblin's eyes, and when that occurs, there will be consequences. Not to you, as I said. It will never harm you directly. But it will inflict punishment on others in your sight, and these punishments can be severe and cruel. You may not believe any of this now, of course, but in time, that will change. I offer this message as an explanation and a kindness. A small lamp for your feet as you move forward with your new friend close behind. Good luck. I almost threw it in the trash then and there, but something stopped me. Instead, I put it on the hallway table, stripped off my clothes, and scrubbed myself in the shower until my skin was hot and raw. I was so tired and shell-shocked that I didn't even think about the note again until the next day. It was about the time I'd watched one of my friends die. We'd been coming back in from a smoke break. Me and Tony Lasco from the third floor were ahead on the stairs going up, with Murray lagging behind us a few steps. We always took the stairs on smoke breaks. It was our half-joking attempt at mitigating the damage we were doing to our heart and lungs with every puff. But Murray was older and heavier than us, and it made him a bit slower on the climb back up. When Murray fell, he gave a little startled gasp. Not loud, but high and strange enough that I turned back to look. Just in time to see his legs going up as he pitched backward toward the concrete landing we just left. Plenty of time to see his head hit and turn as his weight and inertia drove him down, snapping his neck with a muffled popping sound before his feet jittered for a few seconds and then stilled. They told his wife later that he died instantly, but that was a lie. We watched him gasp wetly for breath, his eyes rolling like a scared fish as he tried to understand why the world was suddenly upside down and closing in. I was wondering the same thing. Over the last two years, I've been responsible for 22 deaths, 18 cripplings, 5 blindings, 2 deafenings, and 1 animal attack that... Well, that person is still in the ICU and isn't expected to survive. For the first few days, I was in disbelief, but by the fifth accident in my proximity, I was being questioned by police as a person of interest instead of a suspect. When they started questioning my bosses at work, my job didn't last long. Not that anyone could actually say I'd done anything. All of it had either been around other people or in places with cameras I could be checked. There were times where it did look like someone had been shoved or pulled, but... There was never any actual evidence that anyone had done it or touched them at all. By the time they got tired of talking to me, I'd already reached the point where I barely left my house, and when I did, it was like exiting a space capsule to gather resources on some alien and hostile world. I guarded everything I said or did, every look I gave or tone I had when speaking. I'd practice phrases and expressions in the mirror, canned responses and requests for every scenario I thought might occur during my expeditions out into the world. I found remote work that required no real interaction beyond emails, and I would spend hours scrutinizing every detail of a paragraph before hitting send. And for a time, it worked. The horrors started declining, and by six months I was averaging only one incident every few weeks. By my first anniversary of getting the card, I was on a streak that lasted for nearly 
13 months. I almost bought one of those workplace signs to hang in my office. You know, the ones that let you brag how many days it's been since an incident? But then I thought the Sin Goblin might take offense at that, and I quickly clicked off the website. I've moved to a different state in the meantime. My few remaining friends and contacts in my old town, well, I cut them off all out of fear of hurting them, and truth be told, they didn't seem to mind. I thought things would be easier with a fresh start, and I was right. I had my routines in place, and I remained ever vigilant. I even started to enjoy going out again, if only a little. I'd been shut away for so long, and it had been such a long time since I'd had an incident after all. I started to think that either I'd become a nice enough person that the goblin was satisfied, or maybe he hadn't followed me when I moved away. And then one day, I stopped in to pick up a pizza at a local place I liked. I'd called ahead, so all I had to do was politely wait my turn in line to pick up the pizza and pay. The man in front of me was being slow and annoying, fiddling with his wallet, wiping his snotty nose with his hand, and then putting in his pen with the offending finger, pulling out his car too fast so he had to do it all over again. The old me would have been staring daggers at him at the least, and the snide comment to him or the cashier wouldn't have been out of bounds. Now? I just hummed as I looked around the restaurant and checked my phone for any work emails while the dude finally shuffled away, offering a parting sneeze as he headed for the door. I was saying hello to the cashier, asking how they were doing, while inwardly congratulating myself how far I'd come in the past couple of years. In so many ways it had been bizarre and horrifying, but maybe if I'd become a better person, some good could come from it. Hell, maybe the little guy wasn't all... I froze. Apologizing breathlessly to the cashier, I ran for the door, opening as quickly as I could without risking bumping anyone or knocking a passerby outside. I looked around for the snotty man, but there was no sign of him. Heart about to burst out of my chest, I raised my voice for the first time in months. Bless you! Bless you! He must not have heard. Or if he did, the goblin judged it as too late. Because that night, my next-door neighbor burned to death in her bed. She lived long enough to knock a small hole through the wall of my living room. Not enough to get through, of course. Just enough for me to smell her cooking and watch as she curled up like a spent match on what was left of her bed. Next day, I took $3,000 out of savings and went to a private detective I found online. I didn't tell him about the Sin Goblin, of course, but I did outline a rough timeline of two years of me being stalked and harassed, going all the way back to the day I got a sinister message left in my coat pocket. I'd tried to retrace my steps at the time, figure out when I'd gotten the Goblin and from who, but... It never went anywhere. I couldn't remember any strange encounters that day, and all I'd done is go to an eye appointment, rode the train across town to get lunch, and then watch that poor woman get hit by the bus. I didn't hold out a lot of hope the detective would find out anything new, and at first, he didn't think he had. He told me he'd spoken to people at the eye doctor's office and at the restaurant I'd eaten at, but in two years, memories had faded and some staff had changed. Still, no one remembered seeing or hearing anything strange that day. Turning on his computer monitor, he looked out at a DVD and fumbled it to his desktop. My last option was the train. No real chance of finding a person to talk to, but I know a guy that knows a guy. A grand of your money got me a copy of the security cam footage from the day you rode the train. I was afraid it was a waste, but then I saw this. Hitting play on the video, he leaned back so I could see it more clearly. It only took a moment for me to find myself sitting on one of the aisle seats of a crowded midday train. Quickening motion outside the windows and the gentle sway of the rail handles let me know the train was starting back up after stopping at a station. As I watched, an old woman carrying several bags of what looked like groceries shuffled from the door over to my part of the car. She came to a stop in front of me, standing there expectantly as though she thought I'd offer up my seat. 
For my part, the past me never even looked up from my phone. I don't remember if I truly didn't see her or just ignored her because I didn't want to get up, but after a few seconds it didn't matter. A kid in the row behind me stood up and gave the woman his seats, even going as far as to help her put her bags in the overhead rack before finding another seat further back. I felt anger in me as I stared at the small monochrome woman on the screen. Was this her? Was that it? Had she really ruined my life and destroyed all these other people because I didn't hop on to give her my fucking seat? Gritting my teeth, I watched her like a hawk as the train rolled toward my station. She was right behind me. It would be the simplest thing in the world for her to slip it into my coat pocket without me noticing. The angle wasn't perfect, of course, but it felt like I'd seen her at least look my way or lean forward when she did it. Instead, she just leaned back with her eyes closed as though she'd fallen asleep. The walls outside the train slowed again as it crawled up to my stop. Past me stood up, as did several others, but the old woman kept to her seat without stirring. The line of people streaming off the train started forward, the guy who had given up his chair right behind me. It was fast and subtle, but right before I stepped across the platform and out of the camera's view, I saw him drop the folded paper into my coat's left pocket. I looked up at the detective. Tell me you know who he is. The man smiled. Kind of. Can't give you any government records for the money you paid, but I was able to track down his online persona, which led me to an internet phone number. Tried it yesterday. Still works. Guy who answered sounds like I'd expect your stalker to sound. He puffed out of breath. <laughs> so the question is, what do you want to do now? I can get this stuff to the cops here or there, but I doubt they'll do anything with it. Or, if you have any more money, I can keep digging into this cat and see what... Give it to me. He frowned. <laughs> Give you what? I forced a smile. The number. Just... Give me the number. When I got to my car, I forced myself to spend five minutes doing breathing exercises and rehearsing what I would say if he answered. I had to be polite and cordial, while also finding out what I could do and trying to get him to tell me how I could get rid of the goblin once and for all. Finger shaking, I punched in the number. He answered on the second ring. Uh-huh. I felt my jaw clench, but I forced myself to smile as I replied. Hey there. Sorry to bother you, but I got your number from an, uh, uh an associate. I know this may sound strange, but I think you may have been on a train with me a couple of years ago. You let um, a nice elderly lady have your seats, and I was sitting in front of you. This wasn't... Oh. So you're the guy, huh? I felt my face contorting into a frown. Uh, yes? I think you gave me an envelope. And, um... A new friend... There was a short bray of laughter on the other end of the line. <laughs> Shit, yeah, I did. Fuck, man, how'd you track me down? Swallowing, I tried to keep my voice even. I, uh... I paid a private detective. I found you from the camera on the train. Another chuckle. <laughs> wow. It's like some CSI shit, right? Good for you. The phone creaked slightly as I gripped it harder. Uh, yeah. Thank you, I, I just... I wanted to know how to... How to leave my new companion behind so my life can get back to normal. So you can get back to being an asshole like the rest of us, right? I feel you. Thing is, you can't. What? Why? I mean... There has to be some way to get rid of it. You gave it to me, didn't you? Yeah, that's true, but... That's like my family's thing. There was a pause, and then he spoke again, his tone more serious. Look, man. 
my family got cursed with this thing like 200 years ago, right? And the only way we can get rid of it for a while is to dump it on someone else. And they can't get rid of it without, you know, croaking. Then it comes back to us until we find another sh- person to help us out. And that's the deal. That's the deal? That's the fucking deal? I was yelling now, but I didn't care. You just kill people and ruin their lives, and it's all a big joke to you? No, I didn't hurt anybody. It's the goblin. He doesn't hurt people unless you fuck up. Two weeks ago, I watched my neighbor burn to death because I didn't say bless you when a guy sneezed. I thought I had the rules figured out, but I'm not perfect, and I think he's gotten stricter. There was a snort on the other end of the line. (laughs) Yeah... He's a tricky little fucker. He starts out a bit easygoing, but the longer he's with you, the more of a stickler he becomes. I had him for four years before I decided to shack up and pass him on. That was after I farted at dinner on accident and my girlfriend got mauled by a pack of dogs on their way home. His voice got thin and watery sounding. I know it sucks, man. And I really am kind of sorry. Hey, at least I gave you some heads up. I even made the note fancy so you'd take it serious. I could hear the sarcasm in my voice as I stared at the phone. Sure, thanks for that. Now listen, you're going to figure out how to take this thing back or I'll find you. I'll find you and be your own personal sin goblin until you don't have shit left, you get me? He actually sounded mildly offended when he answered. Whoa, whoa, dude. First of all, you won't find me. I'll drop this number after this call, and I don't live in that shit city. My family's loaded. Not unrelated to the curse, by the way, but for your purposes, you just need to get that you'll never find me. All you'll do is piss off the goblin and hurt more people. Is that what you want? I started crying then. Please. I can't take it anymore. I don't want to hurt anyone else, but I want to have my life too. He sighed. I get it. But all you have to do is don't be a dick. Okay, maybe sometimes he'll still flag you because he has some weird hangups, but you can figure those out. And when you make a mistake, just look at it like an act of God or something. Act of Goblin, right? I... I don't know if I can do that. Well, you don't have much of a choice, but I can't take it back even if I want it, which I do not want. Thank you very much. I mean, you can take the permanent way out, but I discourage that. Not just because it'll mean I'll have to find someone else to sick that little fucker on. Just be a good person. Try not to worry about it. How hard can that be? He took a deep breath and went on. No, truth time. You were pretty aggro during this call, so you might see a bit of fallout from it. Just push past it and do better, right? It's easy for you to... Shit, my food's here. Holla. Then the line went dead. I went to recall the number when I saw something at the edge of my vision. It was the detective hitting the asphalt in the front of my car from his 12-story fall. Retching into my mouth, I put the phone away and started heading home. It took a while. Getting everywhere takes a while now. I drive slow, careful, yielding to anyone I come across, while also trying not to go slow or cautious that I impede those around me. It's maddening. But also necessary. I certainly don't want to offend anyone. In over 20 years with the company, I'd yet to encounter a shopping cart that didn't turn into a piece of shit once the customer, customers. Customers. Wow. Wow. Okay. Uh, 